Let's pray. Lord God, your wind has been blowing to and fro across the face of the earth in a strong and mighty way to remind us that we live in a world of your creation, a world of your choosing, a world that is governed by your laws and principles, and we are but part of it. We thank you for the gift of rain, the gift of wind, the gift of weather that reminds us of how small we are and how big you are. We thank you for the gift of being in this room right now with sisters of faith, with brothers of faith, with people who want to know you, who do know you, who are part of that huge family of the Christian church. We thank you that we are warm, that we are dry, that we are fed, that we are secure. We thank you for all these blessings, especially now the blessing of opening our hearts and minds and souls to you to hear the word that you would speak through ancient scripture, but we know a word that is still true today. So be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, we're still talking about Jacob, aren't we? <laughs> Last week, uh, you looked uh, with Jan Cook at uh, the, uh, the issue of finding a wife for Jacob, finding a wife for Esau, um, and you looked primarily at the question of syncretism about the, the problem that the community of faith has always had of staying true to itself but also then interacting with the world around it. And this is not a question only for ancient Old Testament history. It is a question for every single day of living as a Christian. In fact, the conversation we just had about Lent and about the calendar and timing of the world versus the calendar and timing of the church, that's a question of syncretism. How do we live in the real world that is not organized exactly how we would organize the world from a religious perspective? And, and what do we do with that? How do we incorporate it? How do we be part of it, but also not incorporate it so that our, our boundaries and our, our truth, our reality, the way we live, our ethics, our morals, ultimately our following Jesus and Jesus only are kept in the way that they must be kept. That was last week's conversation. So this week, we move into a different conversation, and here again we come to one of those very, very famous stories that you first learned when you were three or four years old, and you colored pictures of this, and you sang songs about this, and you did flannel graphs about this, because the story is so graphic, the image is so graphic. So let's read the first, uh, the first few verses of our lesson for today, chapter 28, verses 10 through 15, and then we will try to look with fresh eyes, with eyes that have lived a little bit more life than the last time we looked at this question. So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place... He put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring 
and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Okay, the story of Jacob's ladder, the story of Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven, so to speak. There's a lot of songs about that, right? How many of you grew up singing the kind of a little camp song sort of thing? We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Children of the cross. Every rung goes higher, higher. We better stop there because it goes a long, long way. <laughs> I get carried away. Okay, let's set the scene. Jacob has stolen, along with the, uh, the uh, aiding and abetting of his dear mother, Rebecca, he's stolen a birthright. He's gotten himself in a very bad way with his dad and with his brother, and he, he has had to leave town. He's had to leave town. He's wandering now. He leaves Beersheba, goes toward Haran. He comes to a place and stays there for the night. It is not a Holiday Inn Express. He takes a rock for a pillow. He lies down on the ground and takes a rock for a pillow. Let's get ourselves into the situation that Jacob is in right now. Have any of you ever gone to a strange and foreign place? Hopefully all of you, right? I think all of you have left home at some point, right? What's it like when you leave home, when you go to a strange and foreign place, what does it feel like? Shout out some answers. It's scary. It's exciting. Unsettling. If you know the Lord has sent you there, it's great. Not that it's not a challenge, though. Right? Right? It can be confusing. There may be a different language. There may be different customs. There will be different food. There's a different time zone. Everything about moving to a place where you haven't been, moving into a place, creates stress. Some of it's good stress. Some of it can be happy stress, right? We're finally getting to move to California where we've always wanted to live. Or we're finally getting to leave California where we've always... Whatever it is, right? <laughs> Uh, think of the stress of the situation. Jacob has struck out. He's, he has left uh, a very settled, uh, we're given to understand, a, a pretty prosperous family life. Um, and now he's lying on the ground with a rock for his pillow. Right? One of the things that you and I don't understand because we've learned something that Jacob was learning but we need to know what Jacob might have been thinking, and that's what most of the people of Jacob's culture would have been thinking, is whether or not God was there with him. Yes, we can certainly say when God leads us somewhere, God is there with us, but that's not what people always believed. In the ancient world, people believed in many gods. They also believed that gods were local, regional gods, right? 
God was the God of this little area, the God of this country, this tribe, this place. And that as you moved from place to place, you had to find out who the local God was, right? So that you could worship that God or at least not get in trouble with that God. And you worried mightily that when you went somewhere else, you were leaving your gods behind. Okay? And so when Jacob leaves where his family is, the, the, the cultural problem in his mind is whether or not his God is going to be with him. Does that make sense to you? Think about how terrible that would be. Maybe a way to get that in mind is to think about when you do go to a place that's very different from where you've been, you have to learn who the new gods are and learn what their rules are, right? There's some places where you can go and they drive on the wrong side of the road. You have to learn that. There are some places you can go and you cannot make a right turn on red just whenever you feel like it, right? There are some places you go and, and you have to pay attention to the ways the different sexes treat each other. And especially as women, you have to be careful about where you're going to go. Men even as well. You have to learn a whole host of new things. That's kind of like leaving your gods, leaving the safety and security of what you have known and going to a new place. But of course, then it goes much, much deeper than that because we are talking, after all, not just about human culture, human laws, human systems, but God or the gods, the ones who are in charge, who are in control. And so all of that stuff is going on inside of Jacob, okay? So Jacob goes to sleep. What happens when Jacob goes to sleep? He has a dream. He has a dream. Apparently, it's a very vivid dream. He remembers the dream because he had to have reported the dream to somebody. And he sees this vision of a ladder or a stairway. Sometimes it's called a stairway, a staircase, that goes from heaven to earth. Or maybe it goes from earth to heaven. Which is it? It's both, yes, the chicken or the egg, right? What is the significance of a connecting point of a ladder between heaven and earth? When you visualize it, you and I would think of the fact that we know that heaven is not just up in the sky, but that's not what ancient people believed. Heaven was that, that place up there where God came from, right? How, how, how big a ladder would it take to get to heaven? The only ladders that people had in the ancient world to get to heaven were mountains. You climbed up the mountain to get as close to heaven as you possibly could. Jan Cook talked about that in her sermon on Sunday, right? The transfiguration, all the big stuff happens on the mountain because that's as close as we can get to God. And God doesn't want to come all the way down to the valleys. God just wants to meet us on the mountaintop. There was that idea. The 23rd Psalm tells us otherwise that God walks with us where? Through the valley of the shadow of death, of course. So all these, all these things are going on in, in Jacob's mind. There's, there's almost a theological statement in every aspect of this story that you did not learn when you were a four-year-old doing the flannel graph. What you learned during the flannel graph was, wow, there's a ladder that goes all the way up to heaven and there's angels going up and down on it. Isn't that cool? Right? And it is cool and there's a lot in that, but the, there's deep meaning to every single detail 
in this story. There's a background to this story. So if I told you that I knew where the stairway to heaven was and we could go up and down, what would you want to do? You'd want to go up it, right? Right? You'd want to go up it. Just as a moment of of self-confession, self-revelation, I'd have a hard time getting more than three or four feet off the floor (laughs) because I'm afraid of heights. (laughs) That that would be an issue, okay? So what is the significance of the ladder that goes between heaven and earth? It's the connection between heaven and earth. Who does not want to go to heaven? I'm not talking about today or tomorrow, but someday, (laughs) Who does not want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to be in that place where God is, right? And Jacob, who's been wandering, who's been going into a strange and foreign place, suddenly finds himself at the place where heaven and earth connect with each other. My mind is going right now, what's that... What's that um, series of novels that's turned into the TV show where you go through the stones and you go back and forth in time. Uh, Outlander, yes, thank you, Outlander, right? This is even better than that. It's not just going back and forth in time. It's going up and down to heaven. And it's not just a ladder, but there's angels. Someone describe an angel for me. Wings, wings, yeah. You see, you see several popular views of angels in in our culture, right? Um, A halo, yeah, yeah. Uh, Usually blonde hair, blue-eyed, about 18 years old with amazing measurements. And uh, yeah, there's just, you know, Charlie's angels, those kind, right? (laughs) Uh, There's never a description in the Bible that describes that kind of an angel, right? Um, you have to go back into, into ancient art, really, to get some concept. Angels are amazing creatures. They can be terrifying. When they show up, they usually say what at the first? Do not be afraid, right? Right? Maybe they have wings. Maybe they don't. Um, have you seen an angel? Have you been in the presence of an angel? Some of you maybe would say yes, but you don't want to say it in the group. Okay. Tell me, would you tell us about seeing an angel? Use the microphone. Um, sure. I, I, um, my mom had passed away, and I went over to Palm Springs to see my younger sister. And when I pulled into her apartment complex, there she was very, very tall. She was like almost a story and a half tall. Uh-huh. And she was kind of like holding the building. And, um, you know, she was, you know there and then she wasn't there so mm-hmm. but she was very fair like you like you described mm-hmm. and I just remember wow she's really tall yeah. you know and I thought I was you know just kind of I just driven over and I thought you know my eyes were playing tricks on me and so yeah she was really pretty though she was beautiful I wasn't afraid mm-hmm. she didn't talk to me or anything it just mm-hmm. I just saw her you mm-hmm. know yeah holding the building where your mom was yeah yeah Thank you for sharing that. Oh, sure. Yeah, someone else want to share about, yeah, over here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, This wasn't something that I saw, but a friend of mine who was in her last days of life, and uh, she was, she had a window in her room 
that went by a sidewalk or something, and and she saw angels going past her window those last several days. Mm -hmm. um, it was very clear to her, mm -hmm. you know. And she was a very she was a wonderful mentor to me in my Christian life. Her mm -hmm. husband was a pastor, mm -hmm. but she those angels were just welcoming her to heaven. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Someone else want to share? Yeah, Ruth right here. I took my mother, care of my mother when she was dying, and I had fallen asleep, and all of a sudden she called me, and she said, Ruth, come here. And she said, take my hand. And she said, God takes my other hand, and I won't be alone for a minute. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, one more. Let's go to Carol. Again, this is not something I saw, but I volunteer twice a year at Gleanings for the Hungry up in the Central Valley. Uh-huh. And on the wall of their dining room is a story that's printed that happened there. There was some sort of trouble on the campus. It's kind of a enclosed, everybody lives there, and it's away from the outside world. There was some sort of trouble, and some young people went out at dusk to pray. And the two of them, and then more, saw the entire campus ringed with soldiers hmm. carrying spears mm -hmm. and shields mm -hmm. and uh, you know, looking like they were protecting the place, mm -hmm. which is a totally different picture of angels than you get lots of places. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Thank you for sharing all these. I'm sure others of you have seen, experienced, visited with people. Um, I, I have heard many stories of angels that are kind of that warm, comforting presence. Sometimes angels that are very tall and obviously very strong, holding spears, holding weapons in a protective sort of way. Um, many, many stories about angels being present. Uh, now, skeptics are going to say that these are figments of our imagination. Um, my experience of people who've seen an angel and been in the presence of an angel uh, will, will completely uh, accept and believe that story. Sometimes it's hard to describe exactly what it is. Sometimes you don't really understand it till after it's happened. Um, but we have that experience. We believe that that's true. So Jacob sees the ladder. He has the dream. He sees the angels going back and forth ascending and descending. What do you think the angels were doing that were coming down the ladder? You can give an answer and I can't tell you you're wrong because there is no answer in the text, right? Right? But it's an interesting question to ask. Are they coming down the ladder because they're getting ready to do some work on heaven, right? Uh, on earth, right? That's a logical answer maybe. Okay, yeah, maybe they're, maybe they're coming solely for Jacob's purposes, right? Say, Jacob, we're coming down from heaven. You need to know that we're here. Some are going back up, right? Someone yesterday said they're going back up to recharge their cell phones, right? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> right? The coming and going, in a, in a more general sense, uh, tells us that there is communication and interaction between heaven and and earth. Now, as a matter of, of faith and as a matter of our having benefited now from several thousand years of, of experience with God and, and history of thinking of the church, we understand that this place where Jacob goes, God is there. 
We understand that because God tells Jacob that, right? Jacob has this vision, and then the Lord is there. The Lord stood beside him. Not an angel, not a voice, not a, not a shadow representation, but the Lord stood beside. We're not told what the Lord looked like, what the Lord sounded like, but clearly Jacob was there in the presence of God. And what does God say to Jacob? I'm with you. I am the God of your father and your grandfather. No matter how far you have gone away from the place where you thought I was, you've gone a long way and I'm still here. I'm still here. Where can you go to get away from God? You can't. You can't. Right? Going to talk about that tonight with, uh, what's his name, Jonah and the big fish. Right? Tried to, tried to run away from God. Didn't work so well. Right? You can't go away from God. God is very clear in identifying himself. Remember that if you come from a culture that thinks that there are many different gods, all governing over their local region, all with different names, you need to learn the name of God. You need to learn the character of the God in whatever region you happen to be. God says, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God who's been with you all the way along, right? And what does God do then? Says, hi, Jacob, I'm, I'm the God. I'm the guy that you've been dealing with. And then what does he say? Right, right. You cannot leave my presence. I will not leave your presence. And I'm going to what? Reaffirm the promise. Uh, if you've been struck by something as you've read through Genesis, maybe you've been struck by the fact that time and time again, the promise is reaffirmed. This place where you are a stranger now is going to be your place someday. I'm going to give you this place. I'm going to be with you. You are going to become part of that great posterity. Everything is going to be okay. Now, have any of you ever moved to a place where you weren't sure what the future was going to be in that place. Have you ever done that? You know, you've just, maybe, maybe you've been forced out, or maybe you've just said, it's so bad here that i got to go somewhere, right? Anybody had that? Where does that experience happen today in, in very graphic ways, where people are forced out or led out into a completely uncertain future? With war, with refugees, right? Right? Think, has anybody here ever been a refugee? Yeah, yeah, Susan, <laughs> you want to talk about it? Yeah. I haven't been a refugee, no. Good. <laughs> but I had an, a life-changing experience. I was 22 years old, had never been out of the United States. And the Foreign Service sent me to Istanbul. Mm -hmm. And this was 1960 seven or six, I can't remember. And when the door opened to Pan Am One, I started to cry. Hmm. And the stewardess comes over and puts her arms around me and asks me what's wrong. And between sobs, I told her that I was right where God wanted me to be and true to be, it was the first of my life beginning. My life before then was nothing, but mm -hmm. it was the beginning of my life, and mm -hmm. God put me there. Yeah. yeah, And I shared that with the stewardess, and she got tears in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And you weren't exactly sure what your life was going to be after that, right? It, un it unfolded, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a comment? You're just waving your pencil. Okay, cool, cool. I'm thinking of a story. Um, there's a pastor I know named Fakri Yakub, um, an Egyptian pastor, uh, who about 20 years ago uh, had a fascinating experience. Uh, there was a presbytery uh, back on the East Coast that arranged for Fakri and his wife to move to the United States to start new ministries among Arab-speaking people. But somehow or other, and I've never learned all the details, somehow or other, when he and his wife arrived here in the United States, the people of the presbytery who had brought him here had somehow evaporated, disappeared, something had fallen apart in the presbytery system, and they didn't even have a place to live. And so for six months, they lived kind of as refugees in the United States. They had to find their own way, literally, all the way down to finding a place to live and finding a way to get some money. And, and, and now he's, uh, become, he's got a great church in, uh, in Richmond, Virginia. But he said, you know, what happened was, he said, we arrived and thought everything was going to be prepared for us and nothing was prepared for us. We had to find our own way. But God gave us the experience of being refugees so that when we started ministering with refugees, we knew exactly what they were going through. Isn't that fascinating? Love to bring him here sometime to visit with you. So, in a sense, Jacob is a, a refugee, right? Going into a very uncertain and unknown future. And God says to him, I'm still here with you. And the plan is still in place. The plan is still in place. Again, try to get in touch with the, the humanity of what's going on that inside of Jacob, right? Maybe, wouldn't Jacob maybe wonder that, you know, he's stolen his birthright? Maybe his brother's going to kill him before he even has a chance to have any kids. You'd be wondering if the promise is going to hold. But here God affirms that promise. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let's keep reading. Verses 16 through 22. Then... Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was loose at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. Okay, so Jacob has a profound life-changing experience in this place. And what does he do? What is his response to that? He worships. He worships. He sets up a pillar, a pile of rocks. You've seen these all over the place, right? You see them sometimes even on the beach. You see a pile of rocks or you see, you see a, a proverbial pile of rocks by the roadside where somebody's been killed. You see something that physically marks an important place. Do you have important places in your life? 
Where are some of the important places? Church? Yeah. Why is the church important as a place? It's where you worship. Yeah. Can you think of a particular church that's more important to you than most of the other churches that you've been in? This one? Well, of course, this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about all the other rabble of churches out there. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, people walk into this church, and they'll go into the chapel and say, you know, 800 years ago, I got married there, right? Or 800 years ago, you know, we had my mom's funeral here. What other places are important in your history? Thinking just outside of religion, right? Can you remember where you went on your first date? Or on your first date with the person you eventually married? Can you remember where you wanted to go that he didn't take you? (laughs) Right? How about where you were born? Do you know where you were born? Right? Right? Can you point to that place? I can go to that place in my hometown. There was no hospital in my hometown. I was born in the doctor's clinic. The building's still there. It's a lawyer's office now. I think they should put a plaque on the wall that said, on this date in 1956, Jack Baca was born in this place. They haven't done it yet, but (laughs) the place is important. Places, physical locations are important to us. Yes, we say our faith is a spiritual thing. Yes, but heaven and earth are connected with each other. Our experience of this earthly world in the material world of this life has spiritual significance. Therefore, places are important to us, right? The place where the Declaration of Independence was signed. The place where William Wallace was executed. The place where the Magna Carta was signed. All of those places are important to us. Anybody been to the Holy Land? Right? All of these places you know, where Jesus got his first happy meal. There's a, there's a church that's built there now, right? Constantine's mother, Helen, went back to, to Palestine and asked the people, where did Jesus do X or Y or Z? And wherever they said, they built a church there, right? The church of the Holy Sepulcher, the church of the Nativity. Place is important to us. This place where Jacob has this dream becomes the second most important place in ancient Israel. The first most most important place, of course, is Jerusalem. This is the second most important place, right? He pours oil over the top of the pillar, and then he makes a promise to God. God makes a promise to him, and he makes a promise to God. Notice that transaction. God's promise comes first. We don't all of a sudden decide to make a promise to God. God's promise comes first to us. God loves us, and then we respond in love. Okay? Does Jacob keep his promise? I would love to look at the stewardship records of the church where Jacob went to see if he actually gave one-tenth to God. Right? Let's talk about the stewardship message for a minute here. There it is. There it is in black and white. In Hebrew, first of all. Jacob's response. What is your response 
to God. When God says, I'm going to be with you always, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, what is a rational, logical, spiritual way to respond? What would you do? What do you do with that? Has anybody here ever built a church or built an altar? Some people do that. What else do you do to respond to God? Gratitude. How does that gratitude come out? Okay, feeling of love. Absolutely. When someone loves on you, you're, you, you love on them. That's the normal human response, right? Absolutely. Right. So what? Yeah, Marilyn. To serve. To serve. Something's been done for you, and you want to respond by doing something for someone else. Yeah. What else? Yes. Glorify. Glorify. Hey, look at what God did. Isn't God cool? Lift God up. Yes, this is what God has done for me, right? We naturally glorify things that are important, things that are special to us, right? Think of it in this way. You go to a brand new restaurant and they serve you a fantastic meal. What do you do? You tell other people. You glorify the restaurant. You realize that's what you're doing, right? Or if it's the opposite experience, you de-glorify the <laughs> Yeah. So you're going to glorify God, right? What else does Jacob do? Even yes, yes. He gives the tithe back to God. Yeah. He gives material wealth back to God. Now, you're right. We can't give anything to God that God hasn't first given us. And so when we think we're giving something, no, we're not giving something. We're just returning something to where it came from. But God commands and invites us to do that because it's a very, very important spiritual transaction that happens when we do that. The spiritual transaction is that we actually do something with our feeling of gratitude. We actually literally do something we give something, and in that giving of something, we are acknowledging that it came from God, and we are also then continuing to accomplish God's purposes on the planet. We're doing what God is doing, right? How many of you have gone to a great restaurant and had a beautiful, beautiful dessert and asked for the recipe because you want to cook it too? Any of you ever done that? No, some of you are, you just go back to the restaurant, right? Yeah, that would be my response, right? Right? How many of you have gone to a great restaurant and you invite other people to come? Say, you ought to go there or I will take you there. You want to include other people in what God has done. Do you realize that giving in whatever way you give, but never not including money, that includes other people in what God has done for you? Do you ever think about that? God has blessed you, and you want other people to feel that blessing, so you include them in that blessing by what you give and by what you do. That's what it is doing, right? That's part of Jacob's first response here. We've already encountered this in Genesis, this principle. Where? Do you remember where? Melchizedek, two gold stars for today. Yay! Right? Abraham right, is off fighting with different people. He, he gets to Jerusalem. Melchizedek comes and, and blesses Abraham. And Abraham says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give a tenth, right? That is a fundamental response of faith. 
That's a fundamental response of faith. You can't evade it. And what does it do then? It keeps everything going. It keeps everything going. What about the restaurant that serves a great meal and everybody leaves that first night and doesn't say a word about it? What happens? Restaurant closes. Restaurant dies. The blessing does not continue. That's what keeps the church going, is that people in the church keep the blessing going. Isn't that fascinating? Right? Jacob here, uh, some historians will look at this and say, this is part of the beginning of the establishment of the, the institutional church. Okay? Or in this case, the, the institution of Judaism. This place becomes very important as a place where people of ancient Israel go to worship. Jacob's response of setting up an altar is emulated, it is copied, it is expanded. Wherever the people of Israel go, they set up a place to worship. The action, what Jacob does in giving a tenth, is what ancient Israel continues to do. It's setting up the institutions, the culture, the habits, the practices of the community that multiply, replicate, and continue the life of the community itself. And without them, the community dies. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. And it all happens with Jacob going out to this place in the middle of nowhere where he discovers that God is, and then it becomes somewhere. Do you realize that we're in the middle of nowhere right now? There was a time when this was the middle of nowhere. Why is it somewhere? Because we're here. Exactly. Exactly. These are big things. These are big, big things. This is, the, this is the, the beginning of the community of the nation of Israel and then the community that is us. We are direct descendants of all of this. One last thing and then we'll go. So the image of Jacob's ladder with angels going up and angels coming down is a very, very powerful image in Christian history in Christian architecture, in the Christian world. Where have you seen that image before? In the sanctuary. Yes, says the wife of the chairman of the building committee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know? Oh, let's, let's continue the test a little bit. I can't just let you off the hook. Where is the image of Jacob's ladder in the sanctuary. It's in a stained glass window, right? Where is it? Next to the organ. Yes, okay. You walk into the sanctuary, this holy place, where centuries and centuries ago, somebody set up a little rock and poured oil over it. <laughs> okay, go into the sanctuary and look to the left where the organ console is and just behind that is one of our main stained glass windows is the picture of Jacob's ladder. Okay, it is a ladder that's going up and down. There are angels. Go look at those. I should have brought the picture. To, well, you can walk over there and see it. There are angels going up. There are angels coming down. 
There's also one other symbol that's incorporated into that window. Anybody know what that symbol is? It's the Alpha and the Omega, the Greek letters, right? Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, the first letter of the alphabet, the Omega, the last letter of the alphabet. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm everything. There is a huge Alpha and an Omega kind of interposed on top of that picture of the ladder, signifying that this is where everything is, and it's here with us. Check that out sometime. It's a beautiful picture. Take a picture of it on your phone and then look at it every once in a while. All right. Does something need to be said? With Yes, go for it. That's, that's fairly mundane. Sure. But I imagine almost everybody read it would like to ask the same question. Mm -hmm. Is there a cultural significance or precedence for him sleeping on top of a rock? Seems like I'd be on the dirt. Yeah, is there cultural significance? It kind of says he takes the rock as his pillow. He puts his head on the rock, right? I'm not aware of any cultural significance there, but that's a really good question to ask. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, you got another impossible question? I want to give my life because he is the rock. There we go. Yes, give your life. He is the rock. I heard some preaching about that last fall. Y'all still got your rocks? Yeah, good. Do you sleep on them? No. <laughs> All right, one more thing. Haran, you, I don't know. It's not in my head off the top. Turn to the back of your Bible where there are some maps and go to the map of Old Testament times and it'll show you. That's a good question. I, offhand, I want to say that it is um, It's probably modern day Jordan, but I'm not sure about that. Or north, no, northern Israel. I'm not sure. Yeah, good question. Okay, enough questions that I can't answer. We're going to pray out of here. <laughs> God, thanks for being with us. Continue to be with us. Help us to worship you and praise you and live in a way that others know of your love. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. God bless. See you next week, the Lord willing.